Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today we are going to be talking about running. We're going to talk about some of the mental blocks and physical blocks that can prevent you from being the best runner you can be. So to help us through all of that is my guest, John Honorkamp, affectionately known as Coach John, has coached runners of all ages and abilities for more than 20 years. A graduate of St. John's, John was an eight-time All-Big East and six-time All-East athlete while running for the Red Storm. He earned 12 Big East All-Academic accolades and was the youngest semifinalist in the 800 meters at the 1996 U.S. Olympic Trials. He is the co-founder of November Project in New York City, a Lululemon running ambassador, and a member and manager of the New York Athletic Club running team. John started his own consulting for firm, JR Honor Camp LLC. He is deeply involved in New York City running community. He launched the Off the Hook Track Club, a local training group based in the Red Hook neighborhood of Brooklyn, and created the Run Collective, born out of a desire to unite the running community and connect, collaborate, and celebrate all efforts from various clubs, crews, and people in the city. So like I said, today we're going to hear some of the mental blocks and physical issues that John often sees with his runners and how he creates milestones to motivate himself to run. He also talks about choosing the right shoe, which is a common question that I think physical therapists and running coaches get all the time, when to replace them, and give some advice to new runners. So I just want to thank John for being on the podcast and also want to thank Waterpick for bringing the two of us together. We're both part of Waterpick's Water for Wellness Council, and we talk a little bit about that in today's episode as well. So everyone enjoy. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Hello, Karen. Thanks for having me. Yes, a fellow New Yorker just over the bridge in Brooklyn. That's right. I'm a couple blocks from uh, Prospect Park, so I do a lot of my running and activities and in Prospect Park, so I feel fortunate to uh, have access to that space. Perfect, perfect. So now let's talk a little bit more about you before we go on. So people know you're a run, uh, running coach, and you've been running for a good portion of your life, but can you kind of fill in some of the gaps and let the listeners know a little bit more about kind of what led you up to where you are today in the running world? Yeah, I was fortunate to have an uncle that lived next door to me and he was trying to lose weight and training for the marathon, um, either the New York or the Long Island Marathon or both. This is probably like 1982, 83. And since I was his neighbor, he would just bring me along to some of these 5K and 10K races. And that was kind of like in the first kind of first to second running boom. And, you know, I do the kids fun run, which to be honest, not a lot of kids were doing. It would be usually about a mile distance. And then gradually I would, you know, after a year or two, I would, you know, take a stab at the 5k, which was a pretty far distance for seven or eight year old. Um, but I just, you know, got exposed to running at an early age and, but at a, not really, I mean, competitive against myself, maybe the clock, but not super serious. I did other sports, but, um, when I went, when I got to high school, when I went out for the cross country and, and, and track team, and we had a pretty good 
high school uh, and sports in general. And um, I kind of had a leg up as far as been, I've been running for races for a couple of years. And I kind of had, you know, a little bit more experience than the average freshman, but I definitely was better at running than um, basketball, football, baseball. I was very good on defense. And I realized that equates to like, not scoring a lot of baskets, but really annoying the other uh, uh, competitors where I, I had a good engine. And so, you know, I ran very well in high school. I got recruited and I went, ran and got a full scholarship to St. John's in Queens um, and uh, ran there for four years and uh, was fortunate enough to get better each year. And I had a really good year my junior year in 1996. I qualified for the Olympic trials in the 800 meters. And that was also the year that, you know, the Olympics were in the U.S. and Atlanta. So it was just actually a kind of a perfect year. I was 20 years old. Um, I got I just advanced really, really well that, that, that spring season, dropped about four seconds in my 800, which is a pretty good chunk of time for that distance. And next thing you know, I found myself at the NCAAs, at the, at the Olympic trials, competing in Europe as, the 22, as a 20-year-old. So that was kind of um, the beginning of it. And then obviously I got into professional running post-collegiately. I ran for a team, Reebok team based out of Georgetown University with a legendary coach, Frank Gagliano. And I did that for a couple of years, training for the trials in 2000. And in 2001, I moved, and I was living in DC for those three years. And then I moved back to New York and I was still competitive. I ran for the New York Athletic Club, but I gradually kind of turned from competitive runner to not necessarily weekend warrior. I was still running a fair amount and I was still competing, but um, I was focused on other things. And then got into coaching and initially at running camps over the summer as a college kid. And then I coached high school as my first uh, gig when I was coaching, when I was running professionally, I coached high school down in Virginia and then got up here in New York. And next thing I know, I was coaching. I worked for the New York Roadrunners for five plus years and handled all the training and education and launched virtual training platforms where I was coaching 5,000 runners for the New York City Marathon at one time. Oh I literally gosh. had no life. I was just emailing <laughs> people all the time, but it really gave me a nice quick, um, you know, again, it's, it's different. I mean, there's a lot of the same principles in, in, at whatever level you're at in running, but coaching um, the folks that maybe aren't elite or don't have two hours to take a nap every day and do all the recovery things that we'll probably which, talk which about. Which I would think are most people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I got a really, you know, a crash course in coaching like the, the everyday adult who has two jobs and has kids and running is, again, it's again, sneaking in on the weekends, trying to get in before your kids mm -hmm. get up. I'm finding I do that myself now being mm -hmm. a father too. Um, yeah, so it started early, and I just never got burned out from it. I always had great coaches that didn't uh, run me into the ground. And there's plenty of stories out there where kids, whatever sport we're talking about, or even other disciplines like music or, or dance or art or whatever, if you do too much and it's not fun anymore, you start not liking it. And I was able to, to, to even though I didn't enjoy it all the time, for the most part, I really enjoyed running throughout uh, my life and at different levels of competitiveness. And uh and I'm very uh, proud that I, I do. I do call myself. A, I, I run races and stuff, but I'm not offended anymore when people call me a jogger or they ask me how my jog was. I actually realized that I was doing a lot of jogging even when I was competitive at the elite mm -hmm. level. The recovery runs were very easy paced. So um, I'm quite proud to be a jogger. And uh, but yeah, that's kind of like my quick and dirty version of how I got into running and the kind of tra trajectory that I've been on. And, and, and again, I've been running for about 35 years and. I coach over close to 25 at various levels. Amazing. So you've coached, we can easily say you've coached thousands of people. Absolutely. Yeah. With technology yeah. and the online platforms recently, it does make it easier, very scalable. And um, yeah. so you can say that. Yeah. Amazing. And just so people know, the way John and I met was through 
Um, so people who, uh, wa who listen to this or see me on social media, you know that I'm part of the Water, Water Pick Water for Wellness Council, as is John. So they've got two New Yorkers. Um, and we're both council members. And one of the things that uh, we have been working with is a Water Pick Power Pulse Therapeutic Strength Massage Showerhead. Try and say that 10 times fast. But um, we'll talk about kind of how how John sort of incorporates that with his runners and any benefits that they're seeing from, from switching a shower head, which is pretty easy. Um, but before we get into all of that, John, let's talk about some of the common complaints or common issues that you're seeing with your runners. And just so people know, we spoke a little bit before we went on the air here. And the one thing I really want to hone in on first, before we get to the physical things that everybody thinks of that happens with runners, there's the mental side of it too. And sometimes that could be the more important side. So talk to me about what kind of mental blocks you're seeing from your, your students. Yeah, I mean, mentally, it's um, it's funny because people, when they find out that I've you know, been coaching all these years and been running, and maybe I was faster and fast and slow is a relative term, but um, you know, competed at the Olympic trials, they're always, um, oh well, you wouldn't want to coach me because I'm not a real runner, or oh, I don't run like you, and I'm like, how do you run? You put one foot in front of the other, you leave the ground and move forward. It's very simple, and so people often have a, a love hate or just a hate uh, relationship with running because. Either it was a punishment for other sports growing up. We had to do laps. Oftentimes it had to do with preseason conditioning. And if you're coming off the summer and like you, like me in, in high school, the first couple of years, you didn't do your homework over the summer. So you show up and you're, you know, you're out of shape and you're doing laps and it's hot. I remember that in football practice as, as an eighth grader, just being like miserable and like running was, was, was terrible. Especially um, in the Northeast when you've got the heat and the humidity oh, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So, um, or they, you know, it was a gym class and they had, a, you know, the presidential fitness test and they had to do a timed mile and a terrible uh, outfit. I hated that so thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like I was actually good at that because I liked running and had it like an early, you know, attraction to running and I was doing pretty well at it. But for most people, it was not fun and it was just mm -hmm. an awful experience. So whether they come to, they're new to running in their adult life or they, um, were, even if they were faster and fitter and, and did other sports as a, as a youngster and they, maybe they took 10 20 years off based on whatever and now they're getting back to it and they're really uh the mental block of oh i'm not a runner and maybe i shouldn't do this and you know and that is really oftentimes getting people to, to accept that, that they that they're falsely claiming that they're not a runner when they're really just i always say everyone's a runner some people just choose not to run or they don't know how to start mm -hmm. so i really enjoy that process of getting people over that mental hump if it exists of, hey, you're a runner. Uh, I want to find out where you're at, and then we're going to take you from there to where you want to go. And you need to know where you are before you know where you're going. And so it's really like, I think oftentimes changing their mindset and saying it's okay to run 10 minute miles or 12 minute miles or seven minute miles. I don't care. I like numbers and data when I'm crunching numbers about your training and maybe how you paced properly or improperly. So I'll get geeky about that, but I don't really care. I, I coach someone who runs 15 minute miles the same as I would someone coaching seven minute miles. And mm -hmm. so it's just the mental space that they're in of, Oh, I shouldn't be here. I don't belong. I'm not really doing it right. And oftentimes they'll say, Oh, I'm not running's not for me. I get this all the time. I, I can't run more than a block. And I'm always like, well, what block are you running up? Is it uphill at altitude where you're carrying a, ba a backpack of weights? Because probably most people can run a block. And uh, they're, they're just running too fast. And they think of running as being painful, so that has to hurt. 
to be honest, most of my training, especially for like a marathon, for example, I have a lot of first time marathoners and most of the running is actually easy pace. Marathon pace is actually quite easy. It's just hard to do for 26 miles. So right. the, the barrier of like not pacing yourself or, or not going out too fast for you know a couple minutes where they have to stop. Those are quick fixes in my opinion. Um, and that's the mental side of things. And then there's a couple of common physical um, issues that come up, which I can talk about for sure. Yeah. As well. Yeah, I know. I love the that sort of mental barriers because I think if we're talking about new new to new to running folks or folks who maybe took a year, five years, ten years off, and they're coming back to it, like you start and you think to yourself, "God, it's taking me 15 minutes to run a mile. I feel like such a loser." Everyone else, like, because you hear, "Oh." eight minute miles, seven minute miles, like that's where you should quote unquote should be. If you want to run a marathon, you don't want to be running for seven hours. This is, re you know what I mean? And, and I think that that's, that can be really difficult for people and kind of turn them off before they even start. So what kind of techniques do you have for someone like that? Who's coming to you saying, I feel like such a loser. I can only run a 15 minute mile or an 18 minute mile, whatever it is. Yeah, I think I also encourage people to have a running log or a diary, which is an extra step, but it also helps you get progress. It also helps you with injury prevention and to deal with injuries when you do have them, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I often, by, I'll run by minutes. So it's like today you're doing 20 minute run versus a three mile run or a five mile. So they don't necessarily know how, and now if they have a GPS watch and they're tracking things, they'll know after the fact, that, oh, that was a 13 minute mile or whatever, but I'll run by minutes. So you don't, you know, and then that, I think sometimes is a different mindset or a way of tracking where it does free you up a little bit of not having to do the three miles in 30 minutes. That's easy math. That's only 10 minutes or whatever it is. You just run for 20 minutes or whatever it is, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And even when you get, you know, longer runs for longer distances and you're, you're, you're increasing by five or 10 minutes, not a full mile sometimes. Mm, yeah. That's, I like um, that. That's worked. And that's kind of how I run anyway. I'll just do a 30 minute shakeout run or something. And I'm not really, especially if it's not a workout, if it's a workout quality day where a uh, I'm doing six times 800 or I'm doing, you know, something like that. It, it'll, it'll be more important to know the pace and effort, but um, most of the running is just getting out there and doing it. Yeah. So like, it's like you, you can accomplish that 20 minutes, you get that win and you gradually build your confidence. Right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I really like that. And I also like keeping a running log or a running diary. It's the same thing we tell people if they want to lose weight, one of the, almost every nutritionist or dietitian will tell you to keep a food diary um, I do that with patients uh, with chronic pain. I'll have them keep a pain diary so that they can kind of keep track of maybe what they did and what their pain levels were and things like that. So it doesn't work for everyone, but I think it works for most. Yeah, I have a quick story about that. When I was just, just first year as a professional runner, I had all these shin problems. I got down to DC and I felt like this kind of like loser because everyone was these professional runners. They're all qualifying for the Olympics and trying to qualify for the Olympics. And I had shin splints. So I was like running 20 minutes by myself and I couldn't work out. And I was seeing like, you know, PT person, I was doing exercises. It just seemed like I wasn't getting anywhere. wasn't improving. And then um, a PT said, Hey, you should really just monitor your pain on a scale of one to 10. And obviously you have a left shin and a right shin and both were hurting me. So I thought that was really silly and kind of stupid as a, as a 22 year old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I started doing it cause I had nothing else. I, I wasn't running, writing much in my log other than I ran 20 minutes. I didn't have, didn't take me that long to write what I did cause it wasn't a lot. So I had stuff to write about. And to be honest, you know, say I had a six out of 10 or seven out of 10 was the pain level. 
And then all of a sudden, as I was ranking it throughout the, the weeks, I was doing these PT exercises and, you know, strength exercises. And I'm like, are these really working? Kind of going through the motions. But then I did realize like one week or so in, you know, the sixes were fives and the fives were mm. fours. And so I, if I didn't have that to document, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't be able to see the trend of in, in the right direction. So then I got more excited and I was more diligent about the exercises. and I did them correctly with more intention. And that was really helpful because I could see progress where if I didn't have that, I would just be like, oh, my shins hurt and not, you know, see, you know, again, from five to four and everyone has their own relative scale of that, but mm -hmm. it was consistent for that each person. And so that I always tell that story it was, it was really silly, did it anyway. And it really helped me kind of snap out of that, that mode where I was like, wow, that really, I, I could see progress and I wouldn't be able to do that without having the data or the, or the, the documentation that I, I have with writing it down. So I'm a big believer in that. And I really, it's fun to see that you're doing that with your, your patients as well, because that's, that's one way to, you know, this, you can't remember everything and it's, we're all busy. And so if you can write exactly. it down and go back to it, even if they don't see the trend that you look at their, their, their diary, mm -hmm. the trend that they might not see, and they're not going to be able to remember all these things. But if you can like read through their notes, you oftentimes the coach will, um, will pick up stuff before the athlete and that's just like being a detective as oftentimes i'm a detective as a coach trying to piece things together and the more information we have as coaches or detect detectives you can get to the root of the problem quicker um so document everything it's, it's kind of like old school but I, I i can't speak more highly about that because that's really been a, a game changer for me as a young 22 year old but even to my athletes today yeah awesome and now you mentioned shin splints so let's talk about it one of the common complaints that you get from your runners are shin splints. So as a running coach, what do you do with that? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this in prep for this and um, I got the same similar injuries as an elite athlete, as I do, do now as like weekend warrior, you know, dad, bod, jogger, um, you know, shin splints. And that's, shin splints are pretty common because someone who's new to the sport, either they're doing nothing and now all of a sudden they're running 10, 20 miles a week. Or there's someone who maybe was jogging and then they're training for a marathon all of a sudden and they're upping their volume. So it's usually just an over an overuse issue. Mm -hmm. um, it can lead to stress fractures and things a little more serious. But for the most part, if you have a good pair of shoes, which is super important, you don't need a lot of equipment, although it is getting colder here in the Northeast and you do need to layer up a little bit. But you really just need a good pair of shoes. Um, so that's really important. And making sure that you're not doing too much too soon. Because if someone is not trepid uh, you know worried about calling themselves a runner and they get excited for whatever reason they get into the new york city marathon through the lottery or something it's very easy to get overexcited and do too much too soon and then you're kind of sitting on the sidelines so it's really just kind of and then i think a lot of new runners or new athletes it's tough for them to decipher between pain and injury or mm -hmm. soreness and like being uncomfortable it's mm -hmm. like oh, i gotta run through it that could lead to like, well, actually that pain is telling you something to slow down or, or to back off. And sometimes it is kind of navigating through aches and pains that just come with doing something new and doing it more often. So that's mm -hmm. something that's always um, tough to decipher first time through. Like if you've never had shin splints, you're like, what are they? Like you can ignore them and they don't go away and they become bigger problems. So shin splints, uh, plantar fasciitis, Achilles issues, uh, muscle pulls, um, IT band, which I'm currently dealing with now on my mm -hmm. knee. Um, those are just kind of the common um, things that any runner will get, whether you're a professional Olympian or someone just starting out. And what are your thoughts on um, cadence? So oftentimes, uh, 
we'll all read or all see that if so, uh, sometimes if you up your cadence and shorten your stride length when you're running, that it's beneficial for some of these injuries. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if there's a chronic issue that, that keeps reoccurring, I definitely will kind of look at that. But oftentimes, and actually this is a good kind of to, for someone who's new to running, they, they often want me to see them run the first time and like fix their form. And mm-hmm. if they're 45 years old like I am, you've been running for 45 years a certain way or maybe 44 years because you didn't run as a six-month-old. But um, And my son just took his first steps uh, this week. So uh, oh, how nice. that's exciting. But um, it's, you, you, you know, if you're going to, I would say, if you're going to get chased by a dog, you're going to run a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so you don't need to change something you've been doing drastically unless it's a chronic issue that's always happening. People often say this with breathing. How do I breathe? Into the nose, after the mouth. I said, however, don't even think about it. It's when you have a side cramp that keeps reoccurring that I tell people to kind of pay attention to that. But for the most part, don't worry about your form. Um, don't worry about your breathing. Just kind of get out there. And if it's something where you want to pass the time and count your steps or there's some GPS devices that help you count, mm-hmm. um, I really just pay attention to that if there's a something that's reoccurring. Because otherwise, I feel like you've been doing something and creating all this muscle memory for all these years and to drastically change form. And I often, I'll, I'll hear this a lot where, oh, my doctor told me I, I should run on my toes. I'm a heel striker. Well, then I see people running on their tiptoes in the park. And I'm like, what are you Crazy. doing? Crazy, I know. Like, you can't just go from that to that. Yeah, when you run faster, you're naturally up on your toes. There's obviously certain shoes will help facilitate that. But like, there's a lot of fast runners that run on their heel strikers. You don't have to be a toe runner, but I, I hear that a lot where my doctor said, or my coach or someone mm-hmm. said, I have to run on my toes. And I'm like, not like a ballerina. <laughs> so those are things where I think if you hear someone say, do this or work on your form, I think there's things to work on, but it's, um, it's not something we want to change overnight because that could lead to overcompensating and just other issues that I think will may, make you maybe worse off than you were with just kind of figuring out something else with your current form. And you can always improve things with drills and stretching and flexibility, which obviously the, uh, the power pulse therapeutic strength massage has, has, has helped us do and me do even in my mid forties where I'm spending, I'm spending a couple minutes a day focusing on that. But, uh, you can't change things. Even if you're 25 years old, it's still a lot of muscle memory mm-hmm. that you've created. So you can't change it overnight. Just be patient with that. And don't worry about it until it's kind of a problem that you see a, a persist, you know, totally continuous. Yeah. And you mentioned shoe selection. So this is always a question that I get as a PT. I'm sure you get it all the time, multiple times a week or hundreds of times a season. What shoe should I get? What sneaker should I get? And everyone wants to know what brand, what this, what that. So what is your response to what shoe do I get? Do you get, do you have like some guidelines to follow or what do you tell your, your athletes and your runners? Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, I always tell folks there's like, you know, everyone knows they're running brands, you know, there's New Balance, Nike, there's Brooks, you know, mm-hmm. they all Saucony, Mizuno, Hoka is new, Onaona is new. Mm-hmm. Uh, on running as a new at a new company out of Switzerland, um, all those shoes will have the gamut. They'll have super neutral shoes, but neutral being like you don't you have a high arch and you don't need a lot of support. Um, they have kind of the middle of the road where you have some support, some cushion. Then you have like you know the Brooks Beast, for example. It's called the Brooks Beast or the the New Balance Nine Nineties. They're they're meant for heavy duty. You know, someone might have a flat foot. 
And so there's the whole gamut. So usually there's a shoe that's in that line that's going to work for you. And you might not know that. And I always people tell people to go to a running store if they can, because, and they get intimidated by the, the wall of shoes because mm -hmm. the uh, they go for the pretty ones oftentimes. But every shoe brand will have the same kind of like kind of small, medium, large, or they'll have the categories of neutral, cushion, all the way to really supportive and really corrective shoes. And some shoes are going to fit certain feet better. You know, and I've done some brand work for my business where I'm affiliated with a certain brand and I have to wear those. I'm always hoping that I can wear those and they're going to keep me healthy. But even when I'm repping those brands, I'll say, I don't, you don't have to wear the shoe that I'm wearing, even though I'm getting paid by that company to, to do various things. But if the shoe company should want you to be healthy because then you can run and, and do more and more. So, um, you know, this one or two shoes might brands might work better for your foot. Some shoes are just run bigger, some run wider as far as the shoe brands. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, if, if you like a certain brand, just historically that's fit, fit what you well and others haven't. But try on a bunch, take notes, document how you feel in them. But the, every, every shoe company will have something for you. It's just going into a, a shoe store, doing some research of asking questions. And I was, people are always afraid to go into a running store. They're there for mainly for beginner runners because once mm -hmm. you're like me and you know what you like, you just you can you can either get it from the store or you order it online or mm -hmm. however you get your shoes. Um, I, it's, you know, and obviously if I work with a new brand, I need to kind of re, if I have to familiarize myself with different options. But it's really I can't tell you. I mean, I can look at your foot and kind of see, okay, you have a wide foot, you have no arch, you probably need a supportive shoe. But that's mm -hmm. not like a blanket thing. You know, you also look at the wear of people's shoes from previous shoes. And you can see where they're they're wearing down. And I'm not a podiatrist, but just again back to being a detective, you can you can look at things and say. But um, even my neighbor the other day was like, "What shoe should I wear? I don't like these. They're too squishy." I'm like, "Well, you probably need a little bit more support. They're they're probably not. Mm -hmm. They're probably just too soft for you." Sure enough, I gave him the middle of the road one. These are great. It's also probably I don't know how old the ones he was wearing were. So that's another problem. You go to the running store, you try on something. A maybe you're wearing heels all day at work, mm -hmm. and then you go in and you try to awesome shoe on that's fluffy and it's great and then you go home and run on it a couple times and it's like ah, maybe this is rubbing me the wrong way i'm getting a blister um and oftentimes it's also the sizing if you're a size 10 dress shoe you might be a 10 and a half running shoe and i'm someone who actually is 10 and a half in dress shoe and running shoe but some of my spikes and performance shoes like flats and more um racing shoes made it might have been a 10 because you actually mm. want them tighter so those are some other things to kind of think about sizing and, is uh, and what is the what is the running the mileage that you put on your sneakers before it's recommended to change yeah i i think the industry says like 250 to 500 which is a big range yeah. so it, it's and it also it depends on where, how often you're running what surfaces if you're running on the treadmill every day obviously you're probably getting less wear and tear than if you're running on the trails getting them all dirty and scuffing mm -hmm. them up on rocks and stuff like that so I mean, I would say close to the, and sometimes people say, I'll just say you should get shoes, depending on how much you're running, like two a year, if not more. If some people wear the same shoes for three years. I'm like, you it's probably a problem. Need yeah. Yeah. So you need yeah. to invest um, in that, put that on your, on your shopping lists for the holidays or whatever. But um, I mean, I'll, and I also do this where I don't wait for the one pair of shoes to kind of run out, especially if I, if I like a shoe and I'm especially training for a marathon, I might be, I might have one pair of shoes. 
uh, for a couple of weeks, I'll get another pair of shoes and I'll start alternating them. Mm. Eventually one gets cycled out. Cause, and you kind of know, people often say, how do you know? Well, your knees start hurting more, your shins start hurting more. And it's not an injury. It's just more of an achy soreness. And that's usually something. And also I get much more motivated when I put new shoes on. Uh, you kind of like, you're more anxious to get out there and you know, you do have to break them in sometimes depending on what type of shoe they are. And you know, I wouldn't just jump in, in a marathon um, without breaking in those shoes. But I mean, I've heard, I would say 250 to 300, I mm -hmm. feel better about, but mm -hmm. I've read and I've seen, you know, up to 400 to 500, which is a little higher than I like, but depending on what type of runner you are and how hard you are on the shoes and what surfaces you, you, you could last. But definitely, uh, I think, you know, more than one pair of shoes for sure for the year. Um, yeah. Most. Great, great. Excellent advice. And now, um, before we start to kind of wrap things up, what I'd love to hear is maybe uh, you have a new runner, right? Because the majority of people, like we said, let's be honest, are more recreation runners. They're not professional runners. They might be new to running or they're running after a little bit of a break. So if you could give that runner who you've probably seen thousands of times, um, what would your top three tips be for those new runners? I would say give it, have some patience. It's like, you know, again, even if your, your pace is, is, you know, too fast that first block um, and you're stopping, you know, I, I would say like it takes three or four weeks to kind of find a rhythm, sometimes even longer. So just be patient, slow down, uh, make sure it's fun. Um, whether that's, you know, I love the running community here in New York. It's so vast. It's actually hard to keep track of all the things that are going on. And even if you're in a smaller city, there's usually like the local running store and there's, so there's, you know, you go get a beer or coffee afterwards. It's a great community sport because it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot less barriers involved in, in enter, entering the sport. And you can also be a walker and it's, mm -hmm. you know, everyone, everyone's kind of invited to the party. So, so yeah, I would say, you know, give it time, patience, make it fun, make it community oriented. Although I do my best thinking and problem solving when I'm running by myself. So definitely, you know, you don't always have to make it about a group training, but that's something that I think it's a great way, especially to meet new people in a new city mm -hmm. and then take care of yourself. Um, I think don't ignore the things that bother you, get good shoes. I mean, my number one, when people are, are injured or come to me, they often come to me almost too late where it's so, their pain is so bad in their shin or their knee. That they have then they're thinking, oh, I should get a coach. Like right. that's the impetus for them to get a coach. Right. So you're yeah. like, you know, take care of yourself. And to be honest, this might be a good segue for what we're talking about because my first line of defense is go see a massage therapist because massage throughout my running career is like, you know, you go to a doctor and they say, you say it hurts when I run. They're going to say, don't, don't run. It's like my, my mom said back in the day, mom, it hurts when I do this. Okay. Don't do that. But yeah. That's kind of, that's often what some doctors will say like, oh, that's bothering you. Just don't do it. Well, we want to do, we want to be active. We want to keep doing it. So taking care of yourself is really important. And there's a lot of little things like massage um, and stretching and eating right. And, and all these things that are small things that really add up to bigger gains. And, and it's, it's fun to, to improve at it. You know, I mean, I'm never going to run a PR again because I ran faster in my youth, but I have, I have to make up goals now, like fastest mile as a dad, um, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever. That's a great goal. So it, it, these are all things that I have to kind of reinvent to kind of give me the, the motivation to get out there. But the self hair, the self care piece is um, super important and often neglected. Yeah. And that self care involves sleep recovery, nutrition, um, I think the massage. And like I said earlier, we're both uh, on the Water Pick Water for Wellness Council. 
And one of the, a couple of things that there, and again, Power Pulse Therapeutic Strength Massage Showerhead, um, a couple of things that they have actually been shown um, that clinically shown to provide, like to help soothe muscle tension, to increase flexibility and to improve restful sleep. So the way I look at it as a PT, and I'm sure you may say the same as a run coach, like we like to keep the risk reward continuum a little bit more on the reward side and a little less on the risk, right? So if you can recommend things for people that have less risk and more reward, great. And if you can recommend things to people that are economical, great. And I think that that's where that uh, the power pulse massage uh, showerhead kind of comes in, along with, like you said, seeing massage therapists. Um, one of the things that I'm so glad that you mentioned is about the community-oriented part of running, because I think a lot of people think that if you're running, you're just running on your own. Right. And then that's been the biggest challenge for me as just my own running is I've actually, I've been running six, I usually run five or six days a week and it's not a lot of mileage because it's, you know, being a dad and, you know, jogging stroller and whatnot. But um, I was running the same amount of times per week, but I was running say 30 miles a week. And then I was running like 20 and I'm like, how am I running less? You know, I have more time to one degree. And I wasn't like, I would actually often rely on, especially for longer runs is to go to Prospect Park, which is very well trafficked with runners. And I know a lot of runners, so I, I usually run into people I know, and then we go, we, you know, we run a mile or two or add mm. on. A, and I didn't have that because everyone was running alone. or And so I was like, oh, I'm not getting that extra motivation or, hey, hey, Karen, run into Karen. And then we're, we do an extra three miles because we're talking away and catching up. And so mm -hmm. that's something that I think the community piece to that, my mileage is definitely, definitely um, and I, I mean, I, I, I since realized that and try to pay attention to do a little bit more, but I'm like, how am I running less? I'm still running six days a week. And that was the, the number one thing that was different was I didn't have the buddies and I was running by myself all the time. And, and uh, you weren't casually running into people and adding mm -hmm. on. So, um, but yeah, I think, and everyone says, run, and you can run with people. It's just doing it safely. Yeah. Uh, certain protocols. So it's just, and some of that was new in the beginning. And um, so, but there's definitely been a second kind of, well, second, third, fourth, depending on who you talk to, like mini running boom, because gyms were closed and other things. So like you had Absolutely. less options and you, you know, nature, get outside, walk, run. So I get a lot of more questions from new runners, especially neighbors, because they're out there running and they know, oh, this guy runs on the block all the time. He must know something. And mm -hmm. all the questions that we went over already, you know, I'm getting those. So it's, you know, as far as silver linings to some of this stuff that's going on. And now before we finish, I have one last question for you. And it's when I ask all of my guests, so knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? So maybe that 20-year-old at the Olympic trials in 1996, what advice would you give to that kid? Yeah, well, I mean, back then, running, talking about love-hate, like it was so nerve-wracking once I got to certain levels. And even that, I ran the 800 meters, which is arguably one of the toughest events in track and field. They say the 400 hurdles, experts, they, the 400 hurdles and the 800 meters are the toughest. I think that the 10,000 meters on the track is 25 laps. That, that's hard. Pole vault mm -hmm. to me is ridiculously hard. I can't do it. Decathlon and heptathlon is all these different things. I think those are harder. But as far as the, the body and the body makeup, um, that, those, that event is kind of in between speed and endurance. And so 
Um, but it, it just was so nerve wracking at, at, at when I got to that age and that level that running was, um, and, and if I was running well and healthy, the world was great. But there was times where I, running was not so fun and I was sick or I was injured. And so I guess I would probably say, you know, it's tough to say don't take yourself too seriously because I was training for the Olympics and it's really mm -hmm. serious and really focused. But, um, and actually, I, 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 once I stopped competing, I actually took like a couple of years off where I don't even know how much I was running, maybe once a week. And I definitely mm -hmm. got out of shape. And I think when I was like maybe mid to early 30s, I got reinduced. There was a local team that needed some people to run for. And I kind of said, all right, I'll help out. And then I was kind of needed again and felt somewhat relevant. But then the community of that as well, the peer pressure in a positive way got me into the fold. And I actually got, was able to get pretty fit again in my mid thirties. Um, but it was one of these things where I did it to be really good. And then once that was no longer the goal, it was like, why do it? And mm. so there was a little bit of a gap there that, you know, probably mentally and physically it was good to have because, you know, I get healthy and, and kind of cleared my head a little bit, but I wish I didn't take that long of a gap because it was only one reason to do it was to get fast, to win races, to make Olympic teams. And, as we all know now, and I know now, is it, there's many reasons to run, release stress, you know, be competitive with yourself, you know, have, be part of a community, see nature. And even that, I, I started one of these things recently where I took a bunch of runners to, um, to Ireland and uh, I called it a runcation. And we spent four days and you actually can explore. A lot of people I coach when they're training for the marathon will say, oh, I can't, I can't run these two weeks. I'm going to be on vacation. I'm like, well, tell me more about this vacation. And it turns out they're like, I had someone run on a cruise ship once and they actually sent me their GP. I'm like, there's probably a track on the, on the cruise trip. It's probably not that exciting, but don't say you have to take two weeks off. I would kind of like a little tough love there. And someone, I think some woman sent me, she was going across the Atlantic to like Norway and her GPS was over the water. Oh, that's so cool. Like 3.30 pace per mile. And it said she ran like 50 miles when she only ran like 10. Oh, the because GPS, the... <laughs> that's the so funny. Was going across, so. Yeah. But she was more like not trying to get out of running. She was just like, oh, I have to, I'm on vacation. I can't run. And I was like, mm -hmm. you can make it a part of your everyday, regardless of where you go. And you often can see more on foot than, so it's one of these things with just, um, I don't know, you can make it part of your life or it's not such a, this arduous thing and horrible thing. It, 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 most of the time it could be pretty pleasant and fun. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't knock myself too much for being so serious about it, but I wish I didn't, um, you know, I let myself off the hook a little bit and, when I was younger and, and enjoyed it more and, and, and didn't take it so seriously all the time, even though there was reasons for that. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. I think that's great advice to your younger self. And John, where can people find you? What's your website? Where are you on social media? How can they get in touch if they have questions, they want to work with you, they want to learn more about uh, the programs you have? Yeah, my website is RunCamp, and that's R-U-N-K-A-M-P, and I'm spelling mm -hmm. camp incorrectly because my last name is Hunter Camp with a K. Yeah, it's a nice uh, play on words. Yeah, so RunCamp, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it's all things running, whether a training for a race or just getting fit or travel in this case, once we can travel again. And then my um, Facebook and Instagram is just John Hunter Camp, my name's spelt. Uh, awesome. So you can find me that way. And then email me at john at runcamp.com if you have any questions you, you know, you want to get a hold of me for any reason i'd be happy to chat and uh help you through your training journey as as you see fit and as as, as you see necessary perfect and of course we will have the links to everything at the podcast and the show notes for this episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com so john thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time today i really appreciate it 
Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. Happy to do this again and uh, stay in touch, even though we're so close. I know. So far. I know. I know. Just over the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, but thanks so much for coming on. And everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.